Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, John Farley, and I'm Hazel Burton. Today on the podcast. On the podcast. I can't do that game even when I'm trying. Today on the podcast, we've got some new recommendations, including some recommendations for some things you might want to avoid. We're going to give you an update on our feelings about Doctor Who. We've got a squeaky dog. <laughs> and Peter has devised a devilish movie quiz for us all. Something to do with characters in other movies. We have to guess a movie. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> so let's start the show. It's our 21st episode. Happy Yay! birthday to us. Etc. <laughs> Happy birthday to us. I can now legally drink in America. Or oh, the podcast can. <laughs> if the podcast was a... A physical thing, yeah. yes. <laughs> I'm going to take my podcast to a CDLA bar and let it make its own mistakes, because it's an adult now. <laughs> that dog looks really unsettled. He is very unsettled, sorry. He's so going to be trouble. All right, um, Ian, should we start this as we mean to go on? Do you want to start your rant? Yes, I will. I'll just put the dog down one second. <laughs> That's a bit cruel. Vets <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the street. <laughs> yeah, what's this sound? <laughs> Okay, so this week I have taken one for the team and I went to see Venom, which I was really looking forward to. He's a great character, Venom, isn't he? I mean, very much like Deadpool, one of the sort of anti-heroes. I was expecting a a classic sort of buddy cop movie between uh, Eddie Brooke and Venom himself. You know, our main character ends up being taken over by a symbiote called Venom and they have to learn to coexist with each other to much hilarity. And I was also expecting an R-rated movie because Mm -hmm. it's a darker side of that universe. I was expecting lots of blood and gore. But what we got was something completely different to that. We actually got a movie of two halves, which is understandable because uh, there are two main characters in this movie. You have Eddie Brooke himself, mild-mannered, pathetic man, who has no real future, and the Venom symbiote desperately looking for a host. Like a Tinder date. It is a bit like a Tinder date. But it is a Tinder date, really, when you think about it. You know, they both accidentally swipe right and are thrown together <laughs> under extreme circumstances. Now, the movie would have been great if it had focused on the relationship between Venom and the character Eddie Brooke and, and the way that they, they have to learn to coexist with each other, these conversations that they have. And the second half of the movie is kind of like that a bit. But the first half isn't at all. It's an hour-long dirge of Mr. Hardy walking around New York being pathetic. (laughs) Then he kind of ends up with this symbiote around him. And then you think this is going to be good because there's some really nice moments of interaction between Mm. the two of them. But then it descends into a terrible kind of Transformers-like car chase for the rest of the movie. CGI is very good, but the action scenes, they've decided to use the old trope of ramped down speed footage. So, you know, there'd be a car chase going and suddenly it'll go into super slow motion. Mm. And we can see this slow detail of this and that happening. Uh, it's it's awful. <laughs> it kind of looks like, to me, Venom is kind of a bit like Darth Vader sat next to a fire too long. And so it has this little <laughs> darkness of the Dwight Vader character but who melted for some reason. Yet again, a woman is reduced to just going, oh, help, and I'll get you into this place. And has no real, Yeah, it has no real mm-hmm. purpose in the movie at all, nor do the other characters. Mm-hmm. 
apparently 40 minutes were cut out of this movie and mm-hmm. there were the 40 minutes of the conversation between Venom and the Brooke character, which were Hardy's favourites. I think if they put those back in and moved the other stuff, it would have been a much better movie. Ultimately, it's incredibly flawed, pretty much boring. And the end sort of climactic scene doesn't really happen at all. It kind of just peters out. Mm. Mm-hmm. I was very disappointed. Aww. So does Hardy play the symbiote as well as... Yes, he Brock. does the voice for yeah. both. And those parts of the movie are, are, are really, you know, there's the, the spark in there, this fantastic relationship between this incredibly dark, head-biting monster and this hapless New York guy. Great moments and there's flashes of genius, but the rest of it, the guy seems to have just gone, oh, what should I do? Um, I don't know, Transformers is good, so we'll have loads of that kind of fast action stuff. And oh, Deadpool's funny, so we'll have some wise cracking going on, but none of it is really cohesive. Yeah. It's very disappointing. And it should have been R-rated, and it's not. I mean, you get heads are being bitten off a lot, and there's not one spot of blood. It was going to be R-rated, wasn't it, till recently? Um, apparently, the rumours were that they wanted to keep it PG-13, because they want in some future movie to be able to cross over with Spider-Man. It's such a shame because it sounds like they had all the ingredients there. It was just... all there, and I think just that, I think the director missed the point. Yeah, Hardy, you know, is one of the greatest actors around, certainly of this generation, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Did he have his mouth covered in some way through this film? Because that no, seems you, to be his defining. And character. you can actually hear what he's saying this time oh, round, wow. which is interesting <laughs> because he is renowned for mumbling a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but then also there was like Bane, where his yeah, um, in Bane Batman, is, where his face yeah. was all covered up. And then when they did Mad Max, it was like they were taking the piss. They covered up his face for like twenty minutes yeah. through the first and part of the Dunkirk film. Dunkirk as well. Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think the only other movie you see his face in is Bronson. It is really dark in places, and there are moments of David Cronenberg, which there should be in mm. this movie. And it body is, horror. Yeah, yeah, it's proper body horror, total shock. But at the last moment, they kind of wimp out of it. So Venom will stand over someone and go, I'm going to bite your head off, and mm. then it cuts away. That's the opposite of how it should be. Yeah, a complete yeah. opposite. Mm. But could you imagine, say, with Deadpool, if they'd made that fit in with the X-Men universe? Mm. Just would yeah. have completely it sounds like the there's, there's one rule for one and one rule for the other. So with Deadpool, they kind of allowed it to be what it is, mm. knowing that they probably wouldn't put it into the Marvel Universe. Although that was maybe before the deal with Fox had made. Mm. But I could imagine they could use Deadpool in mm. some of those other films, couldn't you? Just as a small guest appearance. I want to see Deadpool in the next X-Men film. And every time he swears, it's bleeped and he gets annoyed. <laughs> yeah, that would be, yeah, that'd be well, brilliant. Right. He's yeah. aware of his own bleeping. He's aware of his own yeah. bleeping. Yeah. So it's like the good place where they say mm-hmm. fork instead of yeah. fuck. That's, a, that's probably what they'll end up doing, mm-hmm. yeah. But also, you know, especially with the Venom character, there's a meta theme behind it, which is all about mental health. I mean, that's the whole mm-hmm. point, isn't it? This split personality and the idea of using a symbol to represent that. And that's just totally missed in the movie. So it's, yeah, it's very disappointing. <laughs> How many stars? Oh, one and a half. Ooh. Oh, Ooh. ow. Out of 20. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out, of out of 20 stars. But Tom Hardy is brilliant, mm-hmm. and there are some moments of of genius, but they're down to him and not to the direction. The, the, the thing I've heard about is that it's like he's in a completely different film to everybody else. Yeah. He thinks he's making a comedy, and everyone else thinks they're making a generic action film. Very disappointing. I'm so sorry, world. <laughs> it's not your fault, Ian. We're sorry you had to sit through it. It's made a shitload of money, though, hasn't it? Yeah. It's another thing about how useless we are as reviewers. Well, Black Panther's on you, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, every, every, all the reviewers slagged it off and it took a massive, it was like the highest October opening ever. Mm-hmm. Reviews are helpful for a small film that you may not have heard of otherwise. Mm. But I'm, I'm not sure in the great scheme of things, out of the tens of millions of people that go to the cinema every weekend, how many avidly read Mark Commode before they decide what to go and see. I have two recommendations because mm. I'm Greed, s- selfish. selfish. 
and I like the sound of my own voice. I got three. <laughs> the first one is season two of Making a Murderer, mm. the acclaimed Netflix documentary. The first season we saw Stephen Avery convicted of the attempted murder and rape of a woman in about 1985, I think, and got sent to prison for it and did 18 years. He got exonerated after DNA evidence was found that it was someone else. So he got released in 2003. He was in the process of suing Manitowoc County Police Department for millions. And then in 2005, Teresa Holbrook's body was found and Stephen Avery was arrested for that murder. The first season documents that trial and it has some incredible twists and turns, including Stephen's nephew, Brendan Dassey, confessing to the murder several months later. It was a really quite shocking videotape confession. Nothing else pins him to the crime. He was 16 at the time and is quite a, I don't know what the political term is for this, but quite a slow individual. Low low IQ. Documentary. Yeah. I'm not a documentary fan per se, but this one, I was recommended to watch it and absolutely have me hooked. I couldn't think about anything else. And the whole thing that keeps you gripped is the thought that the police department may have planted the evidence. So the second season, I think it kind of chronicles the years 2015 to 2017. I've got one episode left to go. And it talks about the process of trying to get both of those people exonerated. So it spends a lot of time with Brendan Dassey and his lawyers trying to make their way up the courts, trying to prove that this videotape confession should never have made it through the first court. And you've got the state trying to fight back really, really hard because if they have to do a retrial, they can't then use that videotape confession. So essentially, they have no case whatsoever. So they are really pushing hard. And then you've got Stephen Avery's brand new lawyer, Kathleen Zellner, who um, has her specialism is in post-conviction cases, trying to get people who are innocent, uh, their, their conviction overturned. And she saw the first season and said to the Avery family, I can help you. She is remarkable. She is wonderful to watch. She takes a very hands-on approach to trying to get Stephen Avery freed, including buying Teresa Holbuck's car, kind of recreating her body weight and the blood spatter, firing guns in Stephen Avery's trailer. Really, really Is she pro- now in prison herself? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the first season is a kind of a different watch because I generally had no idea which way the case went. So when they read the verdict, I had no idea which way it's going to go. This one, it's been much more in the public eye, so the news has kind of followed every stage of it. But it, it has lots of twists and turns for different reasons, and it's such a compelling watch. I'd very much encourage you to get yourself involved. So did he do it? <laughs> <laughs> when you said innocent, prove his innocence. I, I, held, I had quotation marks, <laughs> yeah. I actually have a t-shirt which I bought from tenpoundtees.co.uk which says free Stephen Avery and then in brackets I think <laughs> <laughs> I um, I'm not 100% sure on this but looking at the evidence presented by Kathleen Zellner you think okay yeah this was definitely a plan by the police she also offers up additional suspects that the first trial wasn't allowed to bring forward to the jury she just comes out and kind of accuses several other people and it's kind of like whoa <laughs> At the end of each episode, there is a list of all of the people who disagreed to be involved in the documentary. And it's a very long list. Mm. This is why it's so compelling, because you're not fully sure, but you know something horrific went on that is being covered up. 
I haven't seen series two yet, but for me, the problem that I had with the first series is where you say the list of people that didn't want to be involved, that's pretty much the prosecutors, isn't it? Well, the prosecutors collaborated with the first series. Early on in the first series, but I wonder how much of it is that we're seeing the defence argument. Yeah. So do you remember Ken Kratz, who was the lead prosecutor? Mm -hmm. He declined to be part of the documentary, but when Kathleen Zellner files her case, it then shows the TV footage of Ken Kratz arguing back all of her Mm -hmm. points. There's an attempt to be balanced, but yeah, I mean, when the first documentary came out, there was all these things about crucial evidence not being shown, such as sweat marks on Teresa Halbuck's car being matched to Stephen Avery, and that was never shown in the documentary series. But Kathleen Zellner again proves that to be incorrect, so... I mean, I'm not a lawyer. No, you are, but I'm not. I just... You say maybe I am. <laughs> no, I no, you are. Not maybe. But that's an interesting point, John. Do you think that these series kind of um, flag up the differences between the American and British legal oh, system? So, yeah. How would it play out if this story had happened in England? I don't think he'd be in prison. Mm. Certainly the nephew. That would never have gone anywhere near a court over here. There is many, many stories in American fiction mm. where that degree of power in a small place in some backwater town mm-hmm. as a bad effect. I think what we have here as well is we have a different system of prosecuting things. So we have the police that does the investigation and we've got the Crown Prosecution Service decides where to charge and then it goes to a court where a judge is in charge. It's all a very separate process. So I think some of the implication in making a murderer is that if there was a cover-up, everybody knows each other and they're all in each mm-hmm. other's pockets and there's an embarrassment factor to admitting somebody made a mistake or saying somebody did something wrong and you get less of that here. If there was evidence that there was some police cover-up in the initial inquiry, a court would be all over that because we have a very good separation of... Yeah, you see, you learn something (laughs) in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm about halfway through the second series. I'm enjoying the more forensic side of things. So far, it's maybe spending a bit much time with the family waiting around for things to happen. And I would yes. preferred if it had been maybe a seven or eight episode series instead of a 10 and just cut out some of Yeah, it, it, it does tend to focus on the fact that Stephen's parents, they're I think, about to enter their 80s. And there's a lot of talk about how they're not potentially going to be around if he gets released because mm-hmm. he actually, no, he's in prison for life. He's no possibility yeah. of parole, I think. Um, Brendan may get out... Uh, something like 2049 or is that Blade Runner I'm thinking yeah, like 2039 <laughs> I think they said something yeah. like that yeah what it tries to do is keep things grounded uh, more this time around in the fact that there was a very grisly murder and somebody's life has mm. been stolen they they do keep coming back to that one thing which seems weird is when the appeals are being considered they're saying we can't let him out think how the family are going to feel of Teresa Holbach and you think well you're balancing that against someone who may be in jail for something mm-hmm. they didn't commit and they're in jail all the time. And mm-hmm. okay, the family feel bad. They're going to feel bad whatever happens. Yeah. Really, that shouldn't be a consideration, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, utterly compelling again. Mm-hmm. And my second recommendation is Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. This is the biopic of Freddie Mercury and Queen. It focuses on their rise to fame and uh, ultimately ends in the Live Aid concert. <laughs> Ian's just nosing the microphone. I was just comforting myself. Comforting yourself. Imagining. No, stop it. You keep your hands where I can see them. (laughs) Whilst you comfort yourself. Not my hands you have to worry about. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) 
Yes, um, it was, <laughs> I think, about 80% directed by Brian Singer. Dexter Fletcher came in for the last month or so of filming after Brian Singh was uh, fired for reasons. Did he, did he get fired? Did he, he went missing. It stars Rami Malek as uh, Freddie Mercury, um, who we know from, well, I know him from a cameo that he did in 24, but he's also in iRobot. Mr. I Robot. Mr. Robot, there we go. <laughs> um, and he does a remarkably stunning job of encompassing Freddie Mercury's unique charisma and the way that he gets a crowd involved on stage. He does it wonderfully. And his, I think it is his voice singing and They've, they've described it as an amalgamation of Freddie Mercury's voice and his voice. Because he is a very unique um, range, Freddie Mercury. He puts it down to four extra teeth that he had when he was born, which is why he's got that protruding mouth a little bit. And he was bullied with that growing up. It was also produced by Brian May and probably in a few other... Roger su- Taylor. Yeah, a few surviving members of Queen. And you can tell um, Brian May comes off very well in this. <laughs> there is more than one reference to him being an astrophysicist. <laughs> um, and he, uh, he, he saves the day when they're all having a big, big blow up in the studio, big argument. Um, and he just starts doing... And it's like, come on, guys, I've got an idea. Maybe want to see this film even less. Oh, 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 Have you seen oh, the doors yeah. where it's like Ray Manzak going, do 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 and then gets the riff, and everyone goes, wow, and it cuts like a stick. Yeah, fuck mm. off. So, yeah, it's kind of a one-dimensional view is a bit harsh, but it's um, it's a view of Queen, and it certainly doesn't go into some of Freddie Mercury's darker moments. But then I kind of think, well, why does it have to sometimes? Mm. This was all about the music and his stage presence, his charisma. It talks about the fact that he was gay and that he did contract AIDS and obviously ultimately died, but it doesn't focus on that. But I kind of think, well, why should it? Some reviews have said, if anything, it's emphasising his straight relationship and Mm. um, downplaying the gay relationships quite a bit. Does it have any parties where there are dwarves? Yes, it does. With tables on their heads, mm-hmm. covered in cocaine. Yeah. Is that actually yeah, in the film? Does. It actually is in the film. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's all I need to tell. <laughs> I mean, if I had to choose one thing to do on a Friday night. <laughs> it does skew the timelines a little bit. They're rehearsing for the Live Aid concert, and he announces to the band that he has contracted AIDS, and it is ultimately going to be fatal, which I don't believe happened until a few years after that. But it did make the whole Live Aid concert I don't know, I had goosebumps throughout the Live Aid concert and they do do all of the songs, you know, everyone had a 20-minute set and they did do all the We Are The Champions, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Radio Gaga and I wasn't around when Live Aid was live. <laughs> I, was, I was being cooked. <laughs> <laughs> but I have seen it since and I think they captured it beautifully. Ian? And well, at least I was there. You. I was actually, with Beverly, my partner and I, we were there about three rows from the front at that moment. <gasps> We queued for, I think it was 16 hours outside the City Hall in Newcastle for our tickets. And we went down, stayed some friends. And it was, yeah, we were there when they came on. It was uh-huh. incredible. Beverly yeah. came back completely queen obsessed. Yeah, it was it, yeah. it was amazing. Because I mean, yeah. they'd been in the wilderness a bit at that point. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I was fairly, I, I, I knew Queen and their sort of main hits and stuff like that. But I, I'd never really followed them. And they came on and... Something magical happened in that moment. The I, I felt it. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely felt it. And I, I don't know whether this was happened in real life, but Freddie Mercury. I think the first song that they did was Bohemian Rhapsody. He sat down at his piano and took a big pause before he started. Is that that happened That's in real exactly life? What happened, yeah. yeah. 
Just so much charisma. Mm -hmm. I'm unbelievable. Yeah. Everyone was transfixed. It was yeah. a, it was a, a generally moving moment. Yeah. So I think I think this film hits all the right notes, pun intended, um, <laughs> uh, because it it has an emotional impact. It makes you go back to an era that went, you know, with everyone. Everyone knows Queen and some guys or other. I would thoroughly recommend it as a as a very very compelling film. Just don't expect it to cover all your bases. Another pun. I would have thought what they would have done with the movie would be, you'd be, you know, it would have probably been better if they'd led up sort of halfway through the film and, and, and Freddie Mercury dies. Mm. And then the rest <laughs> of the film is about how Queen go on. That is what yeah, I'm, I'm being do. ironic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like to the bit 20 minutes in where um, Freddie Mercury turns to Brian May and goes, wow, it's clear you're the creative genius behind all these songs, Brian. You're a much better singer and writer than I will ever be. You must go on <laughs> without me. Yeah. And feel free to uh, use our music in any commercial you feel Anything like. at all, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Before I go. Yeah. One last thing, Brian. Watch American Idol. Find somebody, a finalist, not the winner, just a finalist. He's the only man who can take my place. Yes, they, uh, yeah, is, is, isn't that probably why Sasha Baron Cohen left mm -hmm. the project? Was because of that kind of initial idea that the uh, film would, halfway through, would I think change. He felt it was too sanitised and didn't reflect the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the dark side of Mercury's character, which is mm -hmm. what attracted him to the role anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is a there is a film in that. It's just not mm -hmm. this one. Yeah. The I'd be interested for you to then watch the live Ed concert, the real footage, and see what you think. I've already seen the real footage years and years ago, but I left the cinema thinking I really want to see that again. I don't know. I think it's a, a, a rare and unique thing for a band to get inside you that much. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd, be, I'd get tested. <laughs> well, like, well, all, of, all of them at the same time or like different night with each, like the drummer one night, the singer the next night. It doesn't... <laughs> <laughs> Me and my big mouth. There um, <laughs> we go. So all at once. Then. <laughs> um, it's the Royal Philharmonic. John, what's your recommendation? <laughs> Is a join a band uh, <laughs> playing Newcastle? <laughs> I have a very brief musical recommendation before my main one, and I think you can still see this because I think it's touring until 2019. I went to see David Byrne's American Utopia tour. And it's a bit of a cinematic link because David Byrne, when he was in Talking Heads, made Stop Making Sense, which is the best concert movie ever made. And uh, this is similar in that it's sort of a really good melding of music and visual ideas. He's got rid of all cables, all pedals, anything that stops a band being mobile. So you've got a 12-piece band, each with an instrument, all completely mobile. So throughout the entire show, they're moving around the stage, brilliant lighting, just a really good amalgamation of music and entertainment. It's one of the best gigs I've ever been to. And it does a lot of talking head songs and a, a lot of new songs. They're talking about filming and actually doing a, a cinema release of it next year. So when that comes in the cinema, it can be a cinema recommendation. Mm -hmm. I saw the clip that you posted online of them moving around the stage mm -hmm. in formation, and it looked a little bit to me like the sort of halftime Super Bowl brass band dance routine. It didn't feel that way when you were there. Cool. But that's not the only musical thing you've been to. No, I went to see John Carpenter doing his synthesizer synthing, as I believe it's called. Not by anyone who understands music. No. Uh, so basically, yes, I went to see John Carpenter Anthology, which was John Carpenter on stage with his band, including his son, also on keyboards, performing the soundtrack to his films, whilst the synced bits of the films played on all four sides of the stage behind him. And that was brilliant. 
the John Carpenter scores are quite simple. So it wasn't just a faithful reconstruction of what you hear in the films. It was built up with a live band, with drums, two guitars, a couple of keyboard players. But you realise just how good that music is. You realise also how many good films John Carpenter made. I was halfway through thinking, well, they've done all the John Carpenter films. What are they going to do now? And then you go, oh, I saw Precinct 13. Oh, Prince of Darkness. The guy didn't speak very much, but he had a sort of a charisma that held the entire room completely throughout the, the entire set. And he wasn't afraid of some cheesy, slightly hokey moments. So obviously when the fog came on, we got a big wave of fog over the entire stage. <laughs> and before they did the uh, soundtrack to They Live, they did the first couple of notes, paused, all simultaneously put on the sunglasses, <laughs> and then continued. Oh, so, so the ex should yeah. be. Yes. And did so, he go and murder the audience during Halloween as well? I got to hear the new Halloween theme. Oh, yeah. Which then went into he's the original one. The he's one, he's done he? the music for the new one and he's a consulting producer, which I think he's in an interview suggests that they give a big check to say it's better than the other ones. So I've had a very good week of two excellent, very different gigs, both of which are still going around, I would recommend. I also have a film which may be more relevant. <laughs> <laughs> I went to see Bad Times at the El Royale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be the noise you'd be making for the last 30 minutes of the film. <laughs> Why? There's a high Chris Hensworth shirtless quotient in the last third of the film. That's the kind of quotient I like. Yeah. You've got to uh, offset the shirtlessness against the bad facial hair. There's no such thing as bad facial hair. I don't know. Yes, there is actually. <laughs> Just going back to Bohemian Rhapsody, there's a Mike Myers cameo. He plays their first manager. And yeah, he has ridiculously poofy facial hair. Poofy facial poofy hair. Facial hair. I'm yeah. not sure even Hemsworth could pull off a Hitler moustache. Oh, could he pull off a Hitler moustache? Chris Hemsworth? Yeah. If he was wearing one, she'd like to pull it off, wouldn't you? <laughs> She'd rip it off his lip. <laughs> yeah, something a Nazi. Yes. <laughs> now kiss me. <laughs> so yes, uh, Bad Times at the El Royale is, um, it's Drew Goddard who did Cabin in the Woods mm. and you can tell it's Drew Goddard, it's a very similar kind of twisty mix of genres. Daredevil as well, wasn't it? Yeah. First season off. He's also involved in The Good Place. It's an amazing cast. You've got John Hamm as a vacuum cleaner salesman, Jeff Bridges as a priest, uh, a woman who I didn't know before as a singer, and Dakota Johnson as a hippie girl in her 20s. They all turn up on the same night, and they all have a secret, unsurprisingly. <laughs> it's a film that twists, but you think you know where the twists are going, and then kind of pulls the rug under you a little bit. So the first half hour, I was a bit like, Ugh. it's doing the twists that you would expect them to do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it confounds you a lot. It's a lot of fun. It reminds me of the sort of films that made in the late 90s, sort of around the time of Pulp Fiction, and there was a lot of Tarantino-light films almost, where they had the similar sort of intercrossing narratives and looping back in time. I quite like that, though. Yeah. It's, I, don't, I don't mind that it's not Tarantino. I don't mind if other people borrow that. Mm-hmm. I quite like when that happens. don't think you necessarily need to go and see it in the cinema. I don't think you would lose anything from mm-hmm. waiting and catching it on your Betamax or VHS of choice. <laughs> it's a perfectly pleasant two hours, 20 minutes. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was apparently the most exciting script that Hollywood had produced in several years. Mm-hmm. Like everyone wanted to get their hands on it. So do you think it was done justice? The writing's very good. There's a few clunky moments in there. I watched it uh, with my girlfriend and we couldn't decide whether it was a clunky moment of a gotten thread. 
And I thought they were actually doing a swear to make you think that something was going to happen by laying on the clues a little too thick and then it not actually happening. So kind of a, a little bit of misdirection. The last third goes off again into a different genre to what you're expecting from the first two thirds. The more I think about it, the more I, 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 I did enjoy it, yeah. It's seven and a half Hemsworth abs out of ten. <laughs> they are high value abs. That's like yeah, 110% because yeah. he's only got six. <laughs> Peter. I've been watching The Rookie, which is Nathan Fillion's new series. Mm. He's been a fan favourite for years, obviously through Firefly, Dr. Horrible, Castle, as well as... Me. Yeah, <laughs> as well as often popping up on other genre shows like iZombie or Conman. His new show, The Rookie, comes from Alexi Hawley, who's responsible for Castle, and it's more of an ensemble piece than that show. It opens with his character caught up in a bank raid, which he helps to foil, causing him to reevaluate his life, and deciding to become the oldest new recruit in the LAPD. The series follows him and two other new recruits as they hit the streets for the first time. I've only seen the first two episodes so far. The pilot suffers from trying to cram too much in, introducing all the major characters in a very short time, before sticking them all out on the beat at once. As well as the three new recruits, we meet their respective training officers and the grumpy sergeant who's worried that Fillion will be unable to keep his life experiences from interfering with the job. The second episode's paced much better, it has less to cover, giving the stories a bit more time to breathe, so it's worth watching that too before making your mind up about the show. The action sequences work well, with good use of body cams to give a sense of reality, like the Cops TV show, though at least once in each episode I've noticed Fillion doesn't look very fit when he runs. This may be intentional, of course. It might be just trying to make him look more of a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Affiliate is still as great as ever, but at the moment it's a reasonable time filler rather than essential viewing, but I plan to stick with it to see how things develop. I did watch all of Castle, though its ups and downs and weird excuses to keep the lead actors apart were a bit of a problem towards the end mm. of that series. They hated each other in the end. They, they? did. <laughs> they couldn't stand it. Did you see the actors hated each other? Yes, so they, yeah. Nathan Fillion and... Um, Stana Katic? Yeah, so because they couldn't stand each other, they invented plot lines like one was under threat from the mobs. They had to pretend they weren't married anymore yeah. and, and see each other <laughs> in secret. Put any scenes. <laughs> it is weird because they had great chemistry at the start. Mm. Something happened. Uh, it's currently in the US on ABC and it's expected to show up on Sky here in the next few months. Mm. Sounds a bit generic, is it? You, that's not an unfair criticism, mm-hmm. but generic can be fine sometimes. Just a nice... Yeah, it's not something going, oh, wow, I've got to see it. Yeah. Or I don't think it will be. Yeah, it's not like good place when we can't wait for Friday yeah. for the next episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. But I don't think, I mean, <laughs> some of us do. <laughs> for me, Castle was never essential, though I enjoyed it and watched it all. Yeah, same for me, actually. Yeah. Not loving the new series of The Good Place. I'm still enjoying it very much, but I don't think it's, yeah. I, I think it's dropped. I, I know what you mean. I haven't seen the very latest episode, mm-hmm. but taking them out of what they had and putting them back into normal life is just, I just, mm. just, just, just It feels work. episodic in a way that it didn't move. It feels like it's spinning its wheels in a way that it yeah. hasn't done in the first few in series. In fairness, it's still not doing the predictable. No. You know, you can't guess where it's going each time. Mm-hmm. And that's something so few yeah. series take a risk on. Jokes are still very funny. Yeah. Ted Danson is, makes everything worthwhile. Yeah, I don't see it as a massively funny comedy. Mm-hmm. I just love the way the stories go and I like the characters and that's what keeps me watching. I'm loving Larry Hensworth as well. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> no, I just think it's a brilliant, like he's like the drop dead gorgeous, got everything going. Is he like a brain surgeon? Mm. Yeah. And, and yeah, he wonders why he, no one loves him. He yeah. just hates himself. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> you know, in comparison to Chris, you know, I can see why. <laughs> 
Isn't there a new Charlie's Angels coming at the moment? Is it a series of that, isn't there? Yeah, with a female Bosley. Speaking of pointless gender swaps. Yes, so a couple of episodes ago, we were all very excited because the latest episode of Doctor Who was about to air that very evening. So we gave our thoughts and hopes for the series. And now we are a few episodes in, we're going to give you a quick update on on how we're reacting to it. And for this, I'm going to glance over to my left at Ian, who was our biggest Dr. Foo. Dr. Foo. It's Dr. Foof. As it's known now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to correct that. Just um... <laughs> oh, that's so terrible. <laughs> He's dying over a tooth. I'm so, so terribly sexist. I'm really sorry. They tickled me, Doctor Foof. Doctor Foof tickled you. <laughs> right, sorry. Yeah, come on. No, just just proceed with your opinion. Okay. Because I'm not doing that again. We're three episodes in, and another one tonight, because it's Sunday for us recording. I wrote a little statement on Facebook the other day, which I think sums up exactly how I feel about the new series of Doctor Who. And it has nothing to do with Doctor Who herself. I think she's brilliant in it, and, and has really owned the Doctor from the beginning, but I stand by it. <laughs> Doctor Who, 1963. The brief from the head of BBC Drama was to create an early evening drama that would educate and inform children about science and history. Something family-friendly to fill in the early evening slot Something unchallenging and above all safe. 2018, he got what he wanted. <laughs> so you liked it then? <laughs> the first episode of the new series, I thought, okay, mm. that's fine. We're introducing the new characters. It'll be monster light, you know, no real dark themes, no overarching things for the series. I'll let that go. Second episode on a planet, and I thought, oh yeah, it's a bit weak. Mm. But it's still its character development. And then last week's, we got the historical one set around Rosa Parks, the famous unintentional black activist who refused to give up her seat on a bus, which caused a big furore. So a nice place to set historical Doctor Who. But it ended up just being a very lame history lesson. In fact, the last three minutes of the episode was the Doctor standing on the bridge of the TARDIS with her helpers saying, and in the future, Rosa Parks turns out to be a black activist. And from that day, everything changed. For what the accent? That's the most of it. Yeah, she was, she was from Gateshead. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, I just I found it unbelievably insulting, unbelievably safe from someone who's invested their entire life and has followed Doctor Who religiously all his life, even when it was terrible in the first place. You know, the, the 80s, when we got the monsters, were balloons with glitter thrown on them. I stayed with it, but this for me has really killed it off. I'm very, very sad to say that I might not watch the whole series. Oh. Have you ever not watched a single episode of Doctor Who? Ever? I've seen every episode yeah. of Doctor Who ever. And Even the, the ones I missed when I was a kid, I've looked them up and looked at them. It's on tonight and I, I haven't set it to record. I might watch it and I might not. Stern words indeed. Ooh. But I must reiterate, it's got nothing to do with Jodie. I think she's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I just think the writing is appalling and I think they've not come for something terribly safe. And where's the darkness? Where's the sadness? Where's yeah. the... Uh, oh. I suppose it's difficult for it to be all things to all people in a way. And it's it's good to find a thing that kids can watch with their parents. Could be some things to yeah. people. Mm -hmm. I mean, Doctor Who has gone a bit too dark in New Who at times. It has done, yes. And got a bit too self-absorbed. And I don't mind light. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. the Sylvester McCoy period was all very light and fun. But for me, it's, it's become really dumbed down, if it can be dumbed down. Mm. It's the first time it's felt like a kid's show. Yeah, absolutely. 
Was it worse because you knew Rosa Parks' story, do you think? Might you felt different about if you didn't know her story? Well, because, I mean, they've done some really good historical ones, you know, the, the Will Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Van Gogh. And Van Gogh, things like that. They found a really interesting point. And they, it didn't really focus in on her character, so there wasn't a direct relationship between the Doctor and, and the historical mm-hmm. character as such. They were, they were witnesses to history. The weirdest thing I thought was at the end where they have to just sit quietly for two minutes while this stuff plays out. Yeah, we have to let history play out. That was just, uh, that felt wrong. It was preceded by the bit where Doctor Who goes and puts the drawing pin on the bus seat where Rosa Parks <laughs> is about to sit down, isn't it? Yeah, that's the bit, yeah. That's the bit, yeah, yeah. in order to fix history. Mm. <laughs> I haven't seen this episode yet, <laughs> but I assume that's what happens. It's not far off. <laughs> and then they try to do this moral dilemma for the companions. We're going to have to be nasty to Rosa Parks, so she gives up her seat, and, and they're all going. But I can't do that; that would be racist. Should have got that bloke from Ryanair. Flight to. Get out! Get out! Get out! seat. Get out! Oh God! <laughs> yeah, it, uh, yeah, it. Oh, it just sounded very, very clunky and patronising from the synopsis. In a way, it's a good aim to have to try and let people experience things they might not have experienced in their mm-hmm. own lives. To see things through someone else's before, point of view. Not Doctor Who. Not sure I agree with that because I think often fiction can put you in the place of yeah, but not Doctor else. Who. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? You're welcome, but not Doctor Who. Oh, Doctor Foof. Ah, <laughs> oh, so disappointing. So, other than her, what did you like about it? Uh, <laughs> I'm say things I didn't like. I don't like the new TARDIS. It just looks like it looks a bit all a bit David Cronenberg. It looks a bit crusty, like. It's been left in a cave and turned into a stalagmite. No, I'm not a big fan because there's no thing in the middle of this, the room that goes up and down. And that's because it's a woman now. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the phallic there's no large the pillar going woo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the new TARDIS design isn't great, but, but I'll get used to it. It's a TARDIS, isn't it? The music. All right, in the episodes. Yeah, the, the theme tune's a little bit, it's like Doc Tubal, let's add some random drums. Did anyone watch Strictly Come Dancing last night? Why? Because yeah, um, one of the couples did a dance to the Doctor Who theme no. and they swapped genders. I don't want to live in this life anymore. <laughs> it was a tango and normally the man leads the woman. Uh, so halfway through the song, she took his head and put it in the female position. And then she took control. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. <laughs> Isn't it just? <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> but I will watch tonight's episode and I hope it will find a way to redeem itself. If you agree with Ian, please send us Twitter things so that he feels like he's not alone. <laughs> I'm going to name check my friend Rosie, who lives in Holland, who is a bigger Doctor Who fan than Ian. And she has sent me some of the angriest Facebook messages. <laughs> She's really, really not happy. Can I befriend her? Sounds like we'd be perfect <laughs> together. Have a good old rant. Yeah, it's, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll leave it there. Dan liked it. We should, I think we should cut Dallin for balance. He's, he's not here today, but he, likes history. he really liked it, but he likes history, yeah. He doesn't understand, Doctor Who. He doesn't love her. <laughs> not like I do. <laughs> Mine's almost like a Helmsworth kind of adoration. Oh, really? Yeah. I can see where you're coming from. No, he's a she. I'm allowed to like her in that way. <laughs> like that stops you for the last 15 years. Uh, so which male Doctor Who would you fancy? Yeah, If you had to have sex with a... <laughs> Male Doctor Who. Do you have to have sex? I don't just fancy them. Or nope, have you've got to have sex. Got to have sex. Which, which one? Oh, let's have a think. Uh, uh, William Hart. No, he was too old for me. 
Didn't Patrick Fowler would be a cheeky scamp in the bedroom? He'd be cheeky. He'd be fun. <laughs> he'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to suck one of them off. Oh. <laughs> I think I'd probably suck Matt Smith off. David mm. Tennant? No. I don't think he's sexy. Capaldi? No, he's, he's a, got something about it. He's got something about it, but not, no, no, I'd definitely, um, not definitely, but if I, <laughs> if I had to, uh, Matt Smith could, uh, he could regenerate in my mouth. <laughs> Imagine that, you, you know, you're going down, you've got your eyes closed, you're noshing off on Peter Davison and you look up and it's Colin Baker. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt, I don't, you probably will never listen to this, but I, I want you. <laughs> Hazel, you'd never seen Doctor Foof before, had you? Oh, no, I haven't. No. <laughs> so, as a, as a, as a Foof version. Here we, here we go. You've never seen a Foof before? No, I've had new experiences recently. What can I say? As, as somebody who just saw it, probably just as a sci fi show, what did, what did you think? I loved it. I loved the first episode. Oh, I love Jodie. I thought she was incredible on screen, got some great charisma and actually had a bit of an emotional impact on me towards the end when, um, what's her face died? I didn't. When what's her face died, I was devastated. I have a, a very defensive mechanism. I move on from things very quickly. I haven't seen the latest episode only because I was busy on Sunday, not for not because I didn't want to. So I will catch up. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. Mm. But again, I am a I am a foof virgin, so I have not been uh, <laughs> compromised. <laughs> you should have a go. <laughs> Maybe I should. Bigger on the inside. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh dear. <sighs> okay, so it's not it, it's not a, a buff or a bluff, and not really a quiz. It's just a multiple choice. Um, question, okay. okay. Um, just for context, Ian has just sprung this on this just now. I've just sprung it on you now, just came up with it. And okay. it's true though, it's, it's all true. I have four <laughs> movie props, okay, mm-hmm. that were all available for purchase on eBay. Okay. What I want to know from you is which one sold for the most money. Ooh. Mm. Okay. So your choices are Arnold Schwarzenegger's prop head from Total Recall. Jeff Goldblum's Fly Feet from The Fly. <laughs> Charlie Bucket's Scrum Diddlyumptious Wonka Bar from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Which one? What? Which Willy Wonka? The, the Gene the, Wilder The one. original. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Velociraptor Cage from the original Jurassic Park. Mm. So which one of those sold for the most amount of money in dollars? I think the most distinctive has to be the Total Recall. I, I would pay I would pay good money for the Total Recall mm. head. Mm-hmm. They've just been sold just now. No, they're, they're, over the past few years, these, was, few. these were sold on eBay. Mm. So for a, 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 it's ignoring inflation because there's quite a difference in the price. So is it the Velociraptor cage, the Charlie Bucket scrubbed chocolate bar, Jeff Goldblum's feet from the fly, or Arnold Schwarzenegger's prop head from Total Recall? On the other hand, it does look crap as well. <laughs> yeah, Charlie and Doctor Factory is the oldest film in that, so maybe value over time mm. has lifted that one. I don't know. But then they're also you can literally buy Wonka bars yeah. nowadays. Mm. I have a feeling it's the cage from Jurassic Park. So you're going to go with Velociraptor cage? Yes, yes, I am. I think the Willy Wonka bar is probably the most iconic thing. And it would sell to sort of baby boomers who grew up with that film. So I'm going to go for the, the chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Total Recall Head. Total Recall Head. Okay. 
Well, uh, let's have a look. The Charlie Bucket's Scrum Diddly Umptious Wonka Bar was sold for $1,200. dollars mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum's feet was sold for $3,200. <laughs> the Velociraptor cage from Jurassic Park went for $100,000. Oh, wow. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's prop head from Total Recall went for $100. No. $100. <laughs> yep. <Wow. laughs> so the winner is the Velociraptor cage. Yay. Wow. $100, that's it. I don't buy it. If you see a picture of it, it is unbelievably it is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd bought that. I can't show the viewers, but there it is. That looks like Boris Johnson. That, yeah, that looks... <laughs> oh, right. So that's the Arnie head that's inside the opening up mechanical head. Yeah. Yeah. It looks nothing like it. I would have paid money for the big buggy out eye head at the end. Oh, yeah. You know, when they run out of oxygen. Yeah. It's a good film, isn't it? Nope. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Effects-wise, it's a bit rubbish now. If you get, get home from the pub at midnight, you put ITV4 on and Total V calls on, and it will be on. Because that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's either Total V call or Shaun of the Dead. You're not going to bed. You know, you're going to watch the end of that film. Mm-hmm. I was just a bit surprised how rubbish the effects look nowadays. I, 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 it was I great. Know, I, time, I, but... I just have a lot of fondness for that sort of... Uh, there's a lot of practical effects in animatronics. And there's some CGI, but... And also, have you seen the Colin Farrell one? I have, but I have wiped it from my brain. So on to the pre-advertised quiz, rather than the spontaneous one that just got thrown at us. Peter, over to you. In this quiz, I'm describing a film, but the names are of characters the same actors have played, and you have to figure out which film I'm referring to. Does that so make sense? You say I, I stopped listening. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> There's a bit of a theme on this podcast. There was something shiny at the window. <laughs> Dr. Foof. <laughs> For the benefit of our listeners, because you repeat yourself. I'm describing a film, but the names are of characters the same actors have played. And you have to guess which film I'm trying to describe. I still don't understand. (laughs) It will be much clearer when I do the first question. Let's just go in. Let's suck it and see. That's how I roll. (laughs) (laughs) Can you explain it one more time? No. (laughs) Right. I'm going to explain it with an example. Yay. Okay. Which is the first question. So it's not really an example. Here's the first one. Every time the Joker passes through a mirror, he becomes a different person. One of the times he becomes Jack Sparrow. Uh, I, I, I get the game now. This I is don't. the <laughs> This is the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, and you are comp- you're saying um, oh, okay. Heath Ledger yes. played the Joker yes. and was also in that film, and Johnny Depp is in it as well, and was also Jack Sparrow. Yes. Yes, okay. Because I, after Heath Ledger died, other people had to play the same okay. role. So, so are we, is the answer a film? The answer is a film, in each case. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's not just you. Okay. So we'll get there. All right. Let's just I'm have... finally going to win a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Right, question two. For the second question, the Riddler takes in some flightless birds and wins over his ex-wife, Sally Jupiter. <clears throat> Mr. Popper's Penguins. It is. Ah. Oh. Okay. Uh, Jim Carrey is the Riddler. Yeah, Jim Carrey. I have no I idea who the other one is. But I guess Lyle. Gugino. Gugino. Oh. No idea how you pronounce it. The old penguins can fly, but they can't land. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just perfectly they stuck in the air. Just keep going. <laughs> that's why. I'm not sure that's entirely true, John. If you John. go in space, there's penguins <laughs> have set off. They're just going up there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you two understand this? No, no, but let's go anyway. Come on, do this. I bet I'll get one. You're trying to guess a film. Jaws. 
Columbus, Ohio radically reinvents the photo album with the help of Spider-Man. Uh, social network. John, you're not allowed to answer the next social one. Social network. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who are the people referred to? Columbus, Ohio? Is the guy from Zombie... The, the guy that's shit Michael Cera. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. I always thought Michael... I thought the other way around. Michael the, Cera was yeah, the cheap um, Jesse Eisenberg. One of them has to kill the other to become stronger. <laughs> yeah, <That's> the, <laughs> probably. And Spider-Man being Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. John is now banned from the next one. This is going to Though he will <laughs> certainly know the next one. Here we go. The Green Hornet, Betty Brandt, Randall and Jay make an adult film. Also, the actual movie was directed by Silent Bob... And Superman has a small part. It's like that's a Kevin Smith film. It's, it's somebody and somebody make a porno. It is, yes. It is, yeah. One of the names are somebody and somebody make a porno. Um, is it Jeff and someone? No, I it's can't Zach and Miriam. Zach and Miriam, they make a porno. Yeah. And uh, Superman's in it. What's his yeah. name? Uh, which the re- one? The recent one, the new one. No, it's the previous is one. It? It's Brandon uh, Ralph. Brandon Ralph. Right, yeah. He's in it. Right. And then, of course, Silent Bob, um, uh, director. Um, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. He's not so big now. I saw him in LA. He's, he's, he's slimmed down. He had a massive health care. He had a massive heart attack mm. and has lost £150 or something. He's a slim Bob now. <laughs> Here's the next one. John, still not allowed. <clears throat> a young Darth Vader can leap from one place to another. Jumper. Yes. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can, allow yourself to continue your, your clever clue. <laughs> Nick Fury tries to catch him was the other part the Jumper <laughs> A wolf and a young Bruce Willis bend reality together John, they're still not allowed Looper? No Though you're on the right lines um, A wolf And a young Bruce Willis bend reality together Oh, is it? Um, oh, this is slightly more cryptic. This than the is. Other I, 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 I've, 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 I've got this. Is this the fifth element? Nope. Twelve monkeys. Nope. Unbreakable. Die Hard. I've, I've gone completely blank. <laughs> Name on it. Um, uh, Hazel wrote blurb about our last episode yeah, mentioning this very I, film. I know the film. I watched the yeah. film, and I've just said uh, it's the spinny. It spins. It goes oh, into dream. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I had in my head Interstellar. Head. It's not Interstellar. Bruce Willis isn't in that movie. So the wolf yep. being Leonardo DiCaprio and young Bruce Willis being Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. yeah. In Lupin, he plays young Bruce. He plays oh, young Bruce Willis in Lupin. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Furious has a date to the prom with Lenore Case, but things go awry when Mr. Furious gets his knob stuck in his zipper. John, you're allowed. something about Mary. It is. Yeah. Mr. Furious being a character in... Oh, I, I, I glossed um, over that part and just... The uh, Mystery Men. Yes, it is. <laughs> Very good film, Mystery Men. Can you remember which movie featured Frodo Baggins, The Hulk, and Mary Jane Watson? That would be the um, Captain America Civil War. Where the guest appears by a hobbit. No. Um, is it the comic booky thing? You know what I mean? The, the No. The um well, well, Who does Elijah Wood? Yes, I know that. Thank you very um, much. Which were the other two? Yeah, Mary is, Jane. yeah work it out together. Sexy I think. Mary Jane or old Mary Jane. Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Yes, Oh no, I'm thinking Aunt May, aren't I? You yes. Are. Sorry, yes. And so Kirsten Dunst, Elijah Wood. Is it um, Eternal Sunshine? It is. Yeah. Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind. And for the next one, Aunt May <laughs> strips off for Ivan Vanko before he faces the Ayatollah. The wrestler. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Do you finally understand how to play this game? <laughs> yes. I only understand half the clues, so yes. I just go with my first instinct. <laughs> Corbin Dallas is sent by Arthur Dent to see how crazy John Smith is and confront his own mortality. John, let them have a try. Arthur Dent being... Tim from The Office, I would guess. Oh, okay. Might so be, or... <clears throat> All right, I'll tell you it's not. How was it? Oh, niche. It is. What, you mean the original Arthur Dent? Yes. In TV series? Simon Jones. Mm-hmm. So Corbin Dallas, who is that? No idea. You've mentioned the movie already. Inception. No. <laughs> Interstellar. No. Corbin Dallas. Jules. Who might have a character? John Smith. He's from Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. John, this is a John and- John Smith, Doctor Who. And? Uh, there's a John Smith in The Matrix, isn't there? No? No, it's Mr. Agent Smith. Smith. Agent Smith. Smith is in the title. Smith Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Smith, yes. So Brad Pitt's. There's mm-hmm. a film with Brad Pitt and Simon Jones in it. Yeah. Strange film is this. <laughs> um, so Corbin Dallas is sent by Arthur Dent to see how crazy John Smith is and confront his own mortality. Is this, oh, is this, this 12 Monkeys? I, I, yes, this is 12 <laughs> yes. Um, Simon Jones is one of the, the panel-y people, judgy people, isn't yes, he, at the beginning, yes. Yeah. It's the, about the only other film I've seen him in. So Corbin Dallas is in... Is Corbin Bruce Dallas Willis. is Bruce Willis's character in The Fifth Element. Ah, I've never really... Multipass. <laughs> The Fifth Element's a shit this film, isn't it? It no sense to you, <laughs> It is a shit film. It yeah. is not. It's a great film. It's horrendous. Did I win? John definitely won. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Hazel, Hazel did well. I thought Ian... I did. Ian... I just did. Ian participated. <laughs> <laughs> he got a little badge for trying. <laughs> there can't be a first place without last place, so I think, you know, <laughs> you're equally important. <laughs> And that's all we've got time for for this episode. Thank you very much for listening, as usual. Stick around for the end of the episode when we're doing a Marvel-style post-credit sequence that Peter's going to concoct. And also check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. But until episode 22, you have been listening to... Dr. Foof. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Johnson. Arnold Schwarzenegger's animatronic head. <laughs> and I'm Hazel Burton. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Doctor Foof, Doctor Foof, Doctor Foof. Doctor Foof, Doctor Foof, Doctor Foof. Doctor Foof! Doctor Foof! Doctor Foof!